Welcome to Friendship with God. Today, Tom Cantor will finish teaching us from Exodus chapter 3. This message and previous messages are available for free download at friendshipwithgod.org. Now in uh, Matthew 14, 14, And Jesus went forth and saw a great multitude and was moved with compassion, again, here's the compassion, toward them, and he healed their sick. He healed them. In Mark 8, 2, he said, I have compassion on the multitude because they have now been with me three days and have nothing to eat and he fed them. In Luke 7, 12 through 14, we have an account that there was a dead man carried out, the only son of his mother, and she was a widow. And much people of the city was with her. And when the Lord saw her, he had compassion on her and said unto her, Weep not. And he came and touched the, the buyer, the coffin. And they that bear him stood still. And he said, Young man, I say unto thee, Arise. And the boy stood up. He healed, he, he, he healed the death. He resurrected the dead. So it came into his heart of the Lord Jesus to visit his brethren, the Jewish people. And let me, and, and this is what he did. Let me ask you, how about you? How about me? What does evangelism mean to you? What does it really mean to you? Is it a course like evangelism explosion or I've, that you maybe watch three times and you say, okay, I got it, I got it, I got it. Like a... Like our little granddaughter says, my wife was trying to get her to do something, and she said, got it, got it, got it. <laughs> or, is it or, or, or maybe witnessing an evangelism is a matter of, you know, I need to witness. I have to talk to this person about the Lord. I'm supposed to do this. You know, maybe this is the time and, and the pressure, and you sit there and say, okay. Is that the way it is? And is it a matter of duty? Is this something like I have to do? Or is it a matter of my heart is breaking for that lost person? You know, I've taken the time, you could say, I've taken the time to listen to their story. And as I've listened to their life story, what they've explained to me is that I've let the pain of it all penetrate into my heart. I feel it. I am passion with them. I have compassion I feel their pain. I can see, I can feel, I can sense the sadness of life without God. I can feel the despair of looking forward to a, I don't know what's going to happen to me after death. I hope so. That hopeless eternity. I can feel, because I know, the non-repairableness of it all. The non-fixableness of it all. That there is no such thing as purgatory or whatever. No, no, no. That it is appointed unto men once to die, and after that, the judgment, and after that, non-repairable, non-fixable, non-changeable. I can feel it, and I can't stand it any longer. I've got to do whatever it takes to bring this person out of darkness, to bring him out of the death of it all, to bring him out of the despair of it all, and to bring him into a life, and into a liberty, and into a hope. i got to do that. You know, the lost can tell the difference. They can tell when you talk to them if it's, this is something you got to do, or is it something you really care. They can see it in your eyes. They can see it in your handshake. They can see it the way you walk. They can see it the way you talk. 
And so they can see all of that. And Okay, so let's say, for example, you say to yourself, well, that's all well and good, but I don't love the lost. I don't love them. Okay? So what is love? I mean, do you just sort of sit in a corner and say, you know, I'm going to try real, real hard to like this person. You sit there. And then you say, I don't feel it yet. I don't feel it. (laughs) I'll try some more. That's not what love is. Love's not a feeling. Love is action that results from realization of trouble. That's what love is. Love is action that comes as you realize there's trouble. There's trouble. What? The greatest trouble. What's the greatest trouble? It's to be without God. That's the big, big trouble. To be without God in this life, to be without God in eternity, which is hell. And, and, and the greatest love is to fix that. To fix that through the gospel, which the Bible says is the power of God. You can't do it. But the gospel is the power of God unto salvation. It can fix it. Love is action that, that results from realization of trouble. He had compassion because he realized that they were not taught, they were not fed, they were not healed, they were not alive. And after he realized that, what did he do? He taught them, he led them, he healed them, he fed them, he resurrected them. That's love. That's what love is. So then, then you say, well, well, what does God want me to do to realize this? Let's say, to realize this. Realize, realize what? That hell is real. That spiritual bondage, it's real. That the enemy, Satan, who steals, who kills, who destroys, he's real. He's real. Eternity with no hope is real. That the wrath of God on sin is real. That a person dying in their sins is real. It's real. This book is not a book of stories. This is a book of accounts of history, of truths that happened in the past, and of what will occur in the future. This is not a storybook. This is a history book. And this is a history book that tells the past history, the present, and the future. Now, what's the next thing we learn about what happened to Moses? Acts 7, 26. He finds two Jewish men fighting with each other. The the Jewish people are arguing and fighting. They're not getting along. Moses supposed his brethren would have understood how that God by his hand would deliver them. But they didn't understand. They understood not. Now, for all of us in here who consider ourselves evangelists to the Jewish people, this is a great verse. This is a great verse. We go to the Jewish people, and we, with all the enthusiasm, we say, oh, just wait till I show them this truth in the Scripture. I just learned this. This will knock their socks off. And we, we, we go like that, supposing that they would understand, like Moses. And we're like Moses. We're stunned they don't, you don't get it? You can't see it? Why can't you see it? What's wrong? And we walk around and say, oh, the veil, the veil, the veil. Well, you know, we're a little bit like Martin Luther, like that, and bless his heart, um, he, he realized that God had his particular favor on the Jewish people. And he was all excited, Martin Luther was, and he gathered them all together. And he says, now I'm going to really preach my heart out and lay everything out before them. And oh, they're all going to come and be saved and so wonderful. And he just wasn't prepared for the fact that they came with cotton in their ears. It's a little statement. 
And so then Luther, he sadly turned into an anti-Semite at the end. You know, well, we don't want to turn into anti-Semites. That's not a good thing. But what should we do when that happens? Not just for Jewish people, any person, and they just won't. You know, we need to, we need to, sh- we need to like the doctor says, go to the emergency room. You, you go to God's emergency room. And he, and, he, and he says, what's the problem? And you say, oh, the Jewish people. And God says, you don't have to say anything more. I understand. He says, uh, been there, done that. And uh, he says, open your Bible, and I will cause you to be repaired. And then you'll go again. So I want you to, again, look at that, Acts 7.25. Okay, we have another snapshot. He says, uh, he supposed his brethren understood how that God, so you know, picture this now. Here's Moses. He's just stunned. He's bewildered. I don't get it. That's the snapshot. Color Moses, the Lord Jesus Christ. And turn, if you would, and kind of keep all these places somehow, in Isaiah 49, because we covered this, you may remember, a few weeks ago, but Isaiah 49, it bears repeating. This is the Lord Jesus speaking. Then I said, I have labored in vain. I spent my strength for naught and in vain. Wow, what a statement from the creator of the world. Yet surely my judgment is with the Lord and my work is with my God. And now saith the Lord that formed me from the womb to be his servants, to bring Jacob again back to him. Though Israel be not gathered, yet shall I be glorious in the eyes of the Lord and my God shall be my strength. And he said, it's a light thing that thou shouldst be my servant to raise up the tribes of Jacob and to restore the preserved of Israel. I will also give thee for a light to the Gentiles that thou mayest be my salvation unto the end of the earth. Remember now, God says, you know, you come and you uh, there's no response. God says, been there, done that. But the Lord Jesus can say, been there, done that, because he, that was his experience. He has been there, done that. It was his personal experience. It was the Father, according to Isaiah 49, that sent him to do a job. Bring Jacob again back to God. Gather Israel. And he supposed that they would have understood. And they understood not. And he was so discouraged, so discouraged the Lord Jesus was, that he said, I just, I labored in vain. I spent my strength for naught. He said, I wasted my time. I spent myself out. And it's just, I feel like I've just, it's been a total waste of time. But he says, I'm not going to judge myself. My judgment's with the Lord, with the Father. And then the Father says, as he said several times in his lifetime, that you are my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. And he, the father says, bring Israel back. Remember, the father says, that's a light thing. That's nothing. I'll make you a light to the Gentiles, to all the earth, to the end of the earth. You will be my salvation. You will be my Yeshua. You will be my Jesus to the end of the earth. You know, I have a friend of mine, Rabbi Max. We talk to each other about once a week. It's a very interesting conversation. We're both trying to convert each other. And so at one point, he says to me, you know, you know, you know, and he always calls me on Friday night, Friday, Friday afternoon. He says to me one time, he says, you know, if it's true what you're saying, why don't we find the name of Jesus in the scriptures? He means the Old Testament. Why isn't it there? We just read it. That you will be my Jesus my Yeshua, my salvation, to the end of the world. Which Jewish person 
is the most well-known person among the Gentiles of any... It's not, I'll give you a hint. It's not Leonard Bernstein. It's not even <laughs> Steven Spielberg. It's not him either. So who is it? Through the ages. It's, it's, it's the Lord Jesus Christ. It's that Jewish person. You will be my salvation to the end of the earth. You whose name is also called Israel in this passage of Isaiah 49 will be my salvation to the end of the earth. Notice, Acts 7.27. He that did his neighbor wrong thrust him out saying, who made thee a ruler and a judge over us? Freeze that frame of this Jewish man challenging Moses with the, who, who, who made you our king? Color Moses, the Lord Jesus Christ. Color the man who's saying that, the leader of the Jewish people. You remember in Matthew 21, 23, when he was coming to the temple, the chief priests and the elders of the people came unto him as he was teaching and said, By what authority doest thou these things? And who gave thee this authority? Who gave thee this authority? What authority do you do this? Who gave thee this authority? That's what they were saying to him. That brings us to Acts 7, 29. Then fled Moses at that saying, and remember after the, he was uh, threatened with being revealed as the one who killed the Egyptian, was a stranger in the land of Midian where he had begat two sons and he lived there for, for 40 years. Well, that's, that's pretty good. Now we just finished the introduction. We're ready to start the passage. <laughs> now we come to Exodus 3.1. Moses kept the flock of Jethro, his father-in-law, the priest of Midian. Now, this is a really big change for Moses. I mean, the commander of the Egyptian armies, the top of his class, the par excellence order, and the great achiever, and we see him here as a fugitive, a hired hand to take care of sheep, a dirty job, take it from me, that no one else wanted to do, taking care of someone else's sheep, not even goats. Poor Moses. To take care of, you know, we have we have about three hundred goats in our work and about fifty sheep, and I don't mind goats. I can't stand sheep. I hate sheep. And for for ten years, my you some of you remember for ten years, my family and I we lived with the sheep and the goats. We lived right in the middle. We only had about an acre of usable ground. We had three hundred goats and. I don't know, it's about, I don't know, 30, 50, something like sheep. And every day for 10 years, we worked with the goats and the sheep. And we got to know each other pretty well, the goats and the sheep. And the goats and I, we got along fairly well. We had a good enough relationship because we understood each other. The goats are very smart, very, very smart. I remember how one time, every morning we got up and the flowers were eaten. And all the goats were in their pens and the gates were latched. And then we go, and you know, we had 84 long. Anyway, we replaced the flowers, and next morning they were all eaten again. And so we, I'd look at the goats, and they'd look at me, and you know, you need, you know, anything you want to say, you know. But anyway, they look so innocent, you know. So I decided that I'd stay up all night and find out what's going on. And I did. I stayed up all night. About 2 a.m. in the morning, this one goat, remember, her name was Quiche Lorraine. We've named some of her. <laughs> She, she opened the latch of the pen, came out, and ate the flowers. Now, here's the amazing thing. She went back in the pen and closed the latch. <laughs> so that was something. I thought, well, well, you know, I could hardly be mad at her. She's so smart. So the next morning, I, I went to Quiche, and I looked her right in the eye. And no remorse, no repentance <laughs> at all. But because of her, we lock all our pens now. Sheep, they're not like that. 
sheep are really stupid. I mean, at least goats know when they're caught, and they'll say, okay, I'm caught, and so they'll, they'll stop. But sheep don't know. I've seen sheep fall on the ground and die of fright. They're so dumb. Now, <laughs> beside the fact that they're just covered with greasy lanolin, that when I get around at sheep now, we just glare at each other. We don't have a good relationship. And it's really something that God calls us sheep. And he says, I have a hard time with the verse when he says he lays down his life for the sheep. This is very difficult for me. Now, poor Moses has this job of taking care of someone else's sheep. It's not even his sheep. And not even his, and his boss is a pagan priest to top it all off. And this is not exactly a short-term assignment for Moses. He's been at this for 40 years. Forty long years. So when Moses in Egypt, and, and Stephen said that Moses was mighty in words and deeds, the sheep don't care. And, and Moses, at that time, he was proud. I mean, Moses, for the first 40 years of his life, Moses thought, Moses, well, I'm everything. Moses is everything. I'm really something. And so then God said, we have to, take, we have to fix that, because that's not going to work with me. And so therefore, I need to send you, Moses, to a new school. You're going to go to the school of Midian. And you're going to be there. We're going to teach you that you're nothing. Why is that so important? Because in James 4, 6, it says, God resisteth the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. And that Greek word for resisteth is used in a military sense where it means setting the the forces in array against. That's what it means. So it means that, the, that God sets his forces against, to, against the proud. You know, by the way, that's a bad thing when God sets his forces against you. There's two rules when you, about God. There's two rules, universal rules. First rule is, don't make God mad. And the second rule is like it, make God happy. Those are the only things you have to know about your relationship with God. Don't make him mad, make him happy. So when God says that he sets the forces array against somebody in array, that's a bad thing. So you don't want to be like that, and Moses couldn't be like that, so God had to humble him. Now the Greek word for proud means to appear superior to, or to be, or to think yourself superior to. That's proud. I think I'm really better than... You know, and this is very, very important for us as believers to practice. When you see a person who you think to yourself, you know, well, I think I'm better than You know what you should do? You should say to yourself, let me find something, Lord, that this person is saying that's from you so that I can honor and elevate this person in, in, in my eyes. That's a remedy against pride. That person is better than me. That's humility. That person has spoken God's word, just the words I needed for that moment. That's the remedy against being proud, because it's very bad to have God resist you. So, but Moses, he had his schooling, his achievements, his position, his power, and he thought he was better than everybody else. He was proud. And so God had to correct that. So he had 40 years, and he's graduated now. And his uh, pride's all cleaned out. Moses is now humble. He's fixed. Now God can work with him. And so in verse 2, it says, The angel of the Lord appeared unto him in a flame, a fire, out of the midst of the bush. And he looked, and behold, the, the, burn, the bush was burned with fire. The bush was not consumed. Now, who is this? Who is this angel of the Lord? Well, verse 2 tells us that it was God in the bush. So the angel of the Lord is God. So this angel is God. This angel is the Son of God. God the Son. The Lord Jesus Christ. And the way this is written, we can sort of feel the action of it all. Moses is walking along like he did for the last 40 years, and all of a sudden he sees a bush on fire, not consumed, and he says, and it says, he looked, 
And behold, the bush burned with fire, and the bush was not consumed. I love that. It says, Moses looked. You can almost see his head coming off his shoulders. And he looks, you know, he says, look at this. I never saw anything like that before. Bushes that burn down. He says, I've seen a bush that burns, but this bush doesn't consume. So that's interesting. So in verse 3, Moses, <laughs> I mean, if I would have seen that, I would have said, I think there's a product here. This is good firewood. This is firewood that never has to be replaced. And so in verse 3, Moses, did you see what it says there? It says Moses talks to himself. He talks to himself. Now, I can understand Moses talking to himself. That's very understandable. He's all alone out there with just the sheep, and he has nobody to talk to, so maybe he made that a practice. He had a conversation with himself. He's talking to himself. And Moses says to himself, I think I'll now turn aside and see this great sight why the bush is not burned. Now, in other words, I've got to find out what's happening. So when the Lord, it says here, when the Lord saw, in verse 4, that Moses turned aside to see, God called unto him out of the midst of the bush. And what did God say? He said, Moses, Moses, can you imagine that? I mean, he's, he's just going to find out what's with the bush. And all of a sudden, he's like, whoa, this bush is talking now. And it says, Moses, Moses. And he says, I'm right here, I'm right here, in case you can't see me. He says, it's very interesting that it says, and when the Lord saw that Moses turned aside, God called unto him. Have you ever felt that your daily Bible reading is dry? It's like reading a bunch of facts and information, and you're just not getting anything personal out of it. You ever feel that way? Have you ever, have you ever, you ever felt like you don't have anything for you when you read? Just like getting knowledge, just like making sure you know the Bible. Oh, yeah, okay, I remember that verse. Remember that place where it is? Okay, I got it. Got it, got it, got it. You're reading great things in the Bible. Great things. You know, it's kind of like you're walking along in, the, in Arizona, and you're a pioneer, and, you know, you, got one of, you come to the Grand Canyon, and he goes, big ditch. Keep walking. <laughs> or you stop. You turn aside. And, and that's what God is waiting to see. He's waiting That's the time to stop when you read great things in the Bible and to say with Moses, I will turn aside and see this great sight. Turn aside. Stay in front of it. Think about the implications of it. Think about parallel verses to it. Think about, study it. Think about what's behind what happened. Why God allowed this. Why God caused it. Don't rush. Turn aside. Think about it. Why? Because verse verse 4 says, when the Lord saw that Moses, that he turned aside to see, God called unto him. And he told Moses two things in verse 5. Don't come any closer and take your shoes off. Why? Holy ground. Holy ground. Why was it holy ground? Because God was there. The ground wasn't holy anyway. Just, it, was, it was holy because God was there. Three times in this chapter, God uses a name for himself. Three times. He says, I am the God of your father, I am the God of Abraham, I am the God of Isaac, I am the God of Jacob. That's very important title for God. In fact, he says, that you, he says, I'm keeping that title for eternity, for all memorial. That's my title. Now, he wasn't embarrassed, God wasn't embarrassed to link himself with these three men, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Because it's, and so if that's true, these three men are very, very important for us to know about them and to know how God dealt with them in their lives. Because that's our God. And Moses got the message that God was holy. And so what happened is that it says he hid his face because he was afraid to look on God. See, when you get close to God, the first thing you feel is your own dirtiness. 
sinfulness inside. Remember Adam. Adam in chapter 3, verse 10 of Genesis, he says, I heard thy voice in the garden. I heard thy voice. I was afraid. That's Adam said. You remember Job. Job said, I've heard of thee by the hearing of the ear, but now mine eye seeth thee. Wherefore, I abhor myself in dust and ashes in Job 42, 5 through 6. Isaiah, he said, then he said, woe is me for I am done. I'm a man of unclean lips. Unclean lips. And Peter said in Luke 5, 8, it says, Peter fell down at Jesus' feet saying, depart from me, go away. I'm a sinful man, O Lord. Moses hid his face. Thank you for joining us today. Join us again next week as Tom Cantor continues our study from the Bible as our foundation for our friendship with God. Now, do you have a Jewish friend or know of a Jewish person that needs to be reached with the gospel? Would you like to give them a gospel gift personally or have one sent to them? You can contact us directly by phone and we can help you to do that. Call us today at 1-800-247-3051. Once again, that's 1-800-247-3051. And we can help you to fulfill God's command to go to His lost nation of Jewish people first because we have many resources that are available that we can send you. Many of us know Jewish people, whether it's a coworker, a lawyer, doctor, businessman, friend, maybe even a neighbor, or even a Jewish family member that we have that we want to reach. So please call us today, and we can help you to get the gospel to them. 1-800-247-3051. 1-800-247-3051. You can also call us and get a copy of today's broadcast that you can give to them or that you can have for your own personally. And today's message and previous messages are available for free listening and free download at friendshipwithgod.org or israelrestoration.org. And there you can learn more about Tom Cantor and study more about the friendship of God through the Lord Jesus Christ. Thank you again for joining us today. And join us again next week as Tom Cantor continues our study from the Bible.